Well, good morning, everyone. Only one guy, two guys are awake. Good morning, everyone. All right, welcome. So welcome also for those who are joining online and downstairs. Again, we appreciate with the overflow room with the folks who we've asked to sit down there. Uh, a few announcements. Uh, obviously, if you're here right now, you know we've gone back to our 10.30 start time, uh, primarily because the other folks are going to start meeting soon, uh, which also leads us to we got to be real careful with the masks and the in and out and not congregating in groups. A lot of those folks are elderly, and as they come in and out, we want them to feel safe. And so uh, please continue to do what you've been doing, which has been great. Uh, once you get in and sit down, then you can take the masks off. And we pray that we get back to, right, normal soon, right? But we can be normal with Jesus no matter what's going on around us, amen? We can have the peace of God that transcends, right? And we can be light and share hope when everything's falling apart around us and we have the light of Jesus inside of us, then that's what we shall be praying for, amen? Uh, with that, I'm going to pray to begin the service. Obviously, we have a unique service this morning. Uh, we're very excited. We have a, a special guest with us, Mitch Foreman, who's from Chosen People Ministries. Mitch, if you want to wave, so we want to welcome him. And, uh, and we're going to have some worship, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to have him teach us and do uh, an uh, illustration, a teaching here, and then we're going to have communion together. Pastor Jamie's going to lead that. So it's going to be a great time of of fellowship and of ministry in the Lord. Amen. So let me just pray. If you want to stand as we begin and transition to worship, Lord, we welcome you in this place, Father. We ask that you overwhelm us with your presence, Father, that we encounter you in a fresh and powerful way, Lord, that you speak deeply to our spirits, God, that your truth that your truth, the truth of your son Jesus, is revealed to each of us more fully this morning as we endeavor together to walk with him. Have your way in our hearts. Have your way in this place, Jesus. Be glorified as we worship you now, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. I, um, I love so much this next song. It's called Yes, I Will. And I just, every time I, I sing it, I think about all those times. Uh, Pastor Jamie and Pastor Brian both have talked about those times where you're um, worshiping through the storm. And I think that tear-covered praise is even more beautiful to God. Amen when we just cast all our cares, like the word says, on him. And I've had a little bit of a rough week, and so I really need you guys to lift me up in this, in this uh, place today, in this song, as I'll lift you up and we th really think about how uh, God is not a fair-weather friend to us, and nor should we be to him. Amen. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. 
The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Sing. Yes, I will. I lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will. Bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will lift him up, church. Give him praise. God, you are good all the time. We do not love you because of our circumstances, God. Count on one thing. I count on one thing. And the same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God that's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will. I bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will sing it again. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will for all. I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all things. And nothing can stand against. I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all things. Oh, nothing can stand against. I choose to praise. Glorify, glorify the name of all things. Oh, nothing can stand against, and I choose to praise. Oh, to glorify, glorify the name of all things. Nothing can stand against. Praise you, God. Yes, I will. Lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will. I bless your name. Yes, I will. Sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will. Oh, yes, I will. Lift you high. The lowest valley, yes, I will. I 
61 says that Jesus was sent to bind the broken hearts, proclaim freedom for the captive, that was us, comfort for those who mourn, that's also us, give us a crown of beauty for the ashes that we bring in, give us the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair, hallelujah. Your grace, an endless river, your love, an avalanche. There in my darkest moment, all hope burned to the ground. That's where your mercy found me. That's where your love came down. You turned my morning into dancing. You turn my sorrow into praise. You give me beauty for ashes, beauty for ashes. Beauty for ashes, beauty for ashes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. There is none like you, God. You are so good. Love met me in the ruins. Love met me in the ruins of all my past mistakes. Love walked me to the river. Love broke apart these chains. Love spoke a new tomorrow. Opened my eyes to see. Love washed away this sadness. Love came and rescued me. You turned my morning into dancing. Hallelujah. You turned my sorrow into praise. You give me beauty for ashes, beauty for ashes. Oh, beauty for ashes, beauty for ashes. Oh, beauty for ashes, beauty for ashes. Oh, beauty for ashes, beauty for ashes. I thank you, God. Oh, I thank you, God. I'm overwhelmed by your incredible love. Yes, you make everything new. I thank you, God, for all you've done and yet to do. 
praise Him. Oh, you make everything new. Oh, I thank you, God. And I'm overwhelmed by your incredible love. You make everything new. Oh, I thank you, God, for all you've done and yet to do. Turn my morning into dancing, sing. You turn my sorrow into praise. Thank you, Lord. You turn my morning into dancing. You turn my sorrow into praise. You give me beautiful rushes.
thirst for a drink from the well, Jesus is calling out. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. His altar is always open. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling on. Bring your pounds and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling on. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Oh, what a Savior. And oh, what a Savior. Isn't he Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Sing from your heart, bow down before him. And bow down before him. For he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Oh, what a Savior, isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Just bow down before him, for he is Lord. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Oh, come to the altar, your Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with. The precious blood of Jesus Christ Oh, come to the altar 
Your Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Transition now to our time of, of teaching God, of remembering, of communion. Father, we ask that you prepare our hearts, that you prepare our spirits, that you help us to remember your sacrifice and to remember the promise that you'll come again. So, Father, have your way in this service. We worship you, Lord, with every fiber of our being, God. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. And again, as, as I mentioned, uh, and if you just came in, welcome. I was going to not tell folks about the, the time changes because everybody's on a different schedule anyway, but we filled in. Everybody's here now. But as you can see, we have a little bit of a different setup this morning. And so we have a guest uh, speaker, teacher, who's going to uh, share with us and present with us uh, something very significant. And I think a lot of us don't know well enough the connection, the Old Testament history, uh, the Passover. And so uh, it's called Messiah and the Passover. And please welcome this morning Mitch Foreman. All right. All good. I'm on. Thank you, Pastor Ryan. It's nice to be here at South Coast Community Church. Shalom, everybody. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on. Shalom. All right. All right. Everybody speaks Hebrew. That's good. Because that's what we're speaking in heaven. Amen? Probably never thought about that. A lot of things in the scriptures, as uh, Pastor shared, that, you know, for you to understand your faith in Yeshua. Can you say Yeshua? Good, that's his Hebrew name. And for you to understand him better, you have to understand where he came out of. Came out of a home like me. I grew up in a Jewish home in a place called Peabody, Massachusetts, not unlike down in this area. And growing up, I thought that there were two types of people in the world. You're either Jewish or Catholic. Because my neighborhood, that's, that's all there were. And I knew that there were differences. I knew that the Jewish people, we read the Old Testament, and my Catholic uh, friends, they read the New Testament. I'm sorry, did I? We read the Old Testament. My Catholic friends read the New. They worship on Sunday. We worship on Saturday. And the biggest difference, obviously, was they believed that Jesus was their Messiah, and growing up in a Jewish home, we were waiting for the Jewish Messiah to still come. And my Catholic friends would often tell me, you know, Jesus was Jewish. And I'd say, I know that. But he converted and became a Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just kind of how I grew up. Because when you're a kid, your world is your neighborhood. And that's what I actually thought. That, that you know, Christians had their Messiah... But the Jewish people were waiting for hours. 
And when he would come, he would bring world peace, and obviously we'd look outside and there was no world peace. And that was kind of the main reason why most Jewish people did and have not believed that Jesus is the promised Messiah of Israel. And it wasn't until later on uh, that I encountered the gospel in a personal way that I really understood something. I understood that everything that you believe in the church is actually very Jewish. <laughs> it's not the other way around. Most Jewish people think if you become a believer in Jesus like me, you've abandoned Judaism and now you have entered into a Gentile world. The reality is the complete opposite is true. Because if you think about everything that you believe, you read the Jewish scriptures, which we're going to read this morning, you believe in the Jewish Messiah, <laughs> and you believe in the Jewish means and ways of salvation, and you believe that you're part of the Jewish story. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're looking at a presentation I've given probably a thousand times in my missions career, and it's called Messiah and the Passover. And uh, how many people have seen a presentation like this before? Wow, just a couple. So for most of you, this is brand new, and it's fantastic. You're going to learn a lot. We're going to look at three things this morning. You're going to look at how Jewish people look at the Passover. Why do I need you to understand that? Because a lot of you know Jewish people. You have Jewish neighbors, Jewish co-workers, and some of you might have Jewish family. So I need you to understand my people better. Why? So that you can share this wonderful news with them. We will look at the traditions of the Passover Seder, which you will see that Jesus celebrated some of them, and then we'll look at it from a messianic perspective. Amen? So if you have your scriptures, can you turn to the Gospel of Luke Chapter 22, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. <clears throat> then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us that we may eat the Passover. So verse 7 and 8 kind of lay the foundations of what I told you about. Jesus had to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover because it was an obligation of all Jews, and Jesus was an obedient Jewish man, so there were obligations that he had to celebrate. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations. There's a lot of things that have been added to celebrate the Passover to make it more meaningful, and you'll see that this morning too. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asked, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large furnished upper room, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. And when the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. I um, love that passage. Jesus says, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. Do you realize it was that Passover that God had instituted that Jesus would fulfill everything written about him in the Old Testament, about him being the suffering servant, the Lamb of God? Amazing. Now, the apostles didn't know that yet. They were waiting for a king Messiah. What they're going to get is a Lamb of God, and we're going to see that right here in the celebration. I work for a ministry called Chosen People Ministries, and I've been with them for 32 years, but we're the oldest Jewish ministry in the United States. We were established in 1894 when Rabbi Leopold Cohn found his Messiah in the Lower East Side of New York City. And now we've grown since that humble beginning where we have centers in 18 cities all across the world. We have hundreds of um, people like myself who go out and share the gospel, the good news to both Jew and Gentile. And I want to just thank you for inviting me to come to your church this morning so that you can understand my world better, and I need your help. I need your help because I want Jewish people, unlike me, to hear the gospel at an earlier time. As I mentioned, I was 28 years old the first time I ever heard the gospel. Nobody ever shared it with me. Why? I think it's pretty scary sometimes to share the good news with the Jewish person. You don't know how they'll accept it. You don't know what they understand. So I hope this morning, well, I'm going to open up the door so that you can understand my world better, so that you can understand your world better, so that we can do this together. Amen? Amen. So as you look at the table... Okay, Jesus came and prepared the Passover. When I was growing up, I'm going to share with you a lot of my upbringing because I celebrated and have celebrated the Passover every year that I've been alive. And I would come to a table, not somewhat like this, similar. And <clears throat> my grandfather would put on some special clothes. During the Passover, in some of the more orthodox Jewish homes, the head of the household, who was my grandfather growing up, would put on a white robe. And you notice that Jewish men will often wear a covering on their heads. Anybody know what we call that? Yarmulke, or a Hebrew word is kippah. On Hebrew, and Hebrew, on Passover, my grandfather would wear a special kind of covering on his head. It's called a crown because on the night of Passover, the head of the household is king of his home. I know you're thinking I'm looking like the Pope right now, correct? Well... Well, where do you think he got it from? <laughs> Maybe he went to a Seder one night and said, hey, I like that, and brought it back to... <laughs> but the reality is, is that on the night of Passover, the head of the household is king of his home. Guys, isn't that nice? One time a year, <laughs> we get to be king of the home. <laughs> and as a king, he's going to lead the family through the Passover Seder. And as I mentioned... Um, 
There's a story to be told at Passover, and there's also an order of service. And the order of service is found in this book called the Haggadah. And it means the telling. We tell the story the same way every year, year after year after year. And the way that the service begins or the celebration is we always start the holidays in the evening. And does anybody know why? Because the Jewish day starts in the evening. Does anybody know why? It says, and there was evening and there was morning. So because of that, day begins at the evening. And we light candles to commemorate that. Back at the time of Jesus, they lit candles, because without candles, they'd have no light. Now we do it as a tradition. And it's always a tradition that a woman should light the candles. And my grandmother would come forward. And she would light the candles and then recite the traditional blessing. And it would sound like this. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlom Asher Kedoshano Ba'metzotav Etzivano Lehadlech Neshel Pesach Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by his commandments and commands us to light the candles at Passover. And I think it's fitting that a woman shall kindle the lights. Why? It reminds me, the Messiah, the light of the world, would come in through the seed of a woman. Right from the garden, it said that from the seed of the woman. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And he's going to be a glory to thy people Israel and a light to the nations. Amen. My grandmother sits down, and then my grandfather comes back and explains that tonight we're going to drink four cups of wine. Okay? <laughs> well, don't get excited too much, because if you haven't tasted Morgan, you know, uh, Manischewitz wine, it's kind of very sweet, and it's perfect for Passover, okay? And the reason why is my grandfather will explain that the rabbis want us to look at redemption from four different ways. So the four different cups represent that. And the first cup is called a Kiddush cup. It means to sanctify. We're going to see how God sanctified the Jewish people and brought them out of Egypt. The next cup is called the cup of plagues. We're going to look at how God judged the gods of the Egyptian world to free my people. The third cup is the cup of redemption. It focuses on the lamb that would be eaten and used to protect the Jewish people. And then the fourth cup is called the cup of praise or the cup of hallel. Okay, all of you know this word in a sense. Can you say hallelujah? hallelujah. Very good. That's a Hebrew word. Did you know that? It means praise the Lord. Why? Because when you redeem, you know what you do? You praise God. And what we're going to do this morning, too, is we're going to put Messiah right in the middle of it. Because as the rabbis look at redemption from four different perspectives, I want you to see the four different viewpoints of what Jesus did on, on, on that Passover evening as well. Okay? So we're going to take a look at how the first cup, he's the Passover lamb. The second cup, we're going to look at he's the son of God. 
The third cup we're going to look at that he is the Lamb of God, and then he's also the Lamb of the New Covenant. And then in the fourth cup, we're going to see where he is right now so that we can praise him. My grandfather picks up the first cup of wine, and I'm going to help you understand my people better by teaching you the, the blessings. So I'm going to have you repeat after me. Baruch atah Adonai. Eloheinu melech ha'olam. Borei. Pari. Hagafen. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit of the vine, and then we drink. And with that cup, the rest of the evening is set apart for the telling of the Passover story. And what happens is, is that after the cup is drunk, my grandfather calls up the youngest person at the table. And I did this many times, and I would use this Haggadah, actually. Um, I have a messianic one in front of me, but this one was actually my grandfather's. And when he passed away, my mom gave it to me uh, as a way of just carrying from one generation to the next. And, the young, and I, I read out of this book when I was a, a, a young kid. And what happens is, is that you come forward and in the scriptures it says, when your children ask what this night means, you were to tell them. One of the problems is we never know if the children will ask the questions, so we actually built that right into the service. And here's what it sounds a little bit. I won't go through all four, but here's a little taste. And here's what it sounds like. Why is this night different from all other nights? So why do we eat only unleavened bread on this night? Why do we eat bitter herbs? And then the last two is, why in this night do we not dip but once but twice into the salt water? And why do we recline at the table? I read a scripture from Luke where it says the apostles reclined with Jesus at the Passover table. And it's customary for a lot of us to bring pillows, and I got pillows on the chairs here, because we sit back when we're Jews on Passover because God redeemed us. Can you sit back? And relax and recline? Nice. You guys should ask Pastor Brian for pillows next week, okay? <laughs> and we recline and relax because only the free, only the redeemed can relax. Then we ask, why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? And my grandfather explains, it's called matzah. Can you say matzah? Matzah, it's the bread of, it's unleavened. Why? Because in haste, my ancestors had to leave Egypt before the dough could rise. So it's called the bread of affliction. 
And my grandfather then picks up this pouch. It's called a matzotosh in Hebrew, a pouch of three layers of unleavened bread. And they're separated from cloth. And the nice thing is, is that my grandfather at this point just pulls out the middle piece. He puts the bag back. He breaks this in half, explains that it is unleavened because in haste my ancestors left Egypt before the dough could rise. And then he gives it a special name, the larger portion. He calls it the afikomen. Can you say afikomen? Yep. And Pastor Brian, you've been to seminary. Afikomen is not Hebrew. It's Greek. And it means dessert or that which comes later. And what my grandfather does is he takes the afikomen and he puts it in a bag and everybody at the table hides their eyes and then we hide it. So I need everybody to shut their eyes for a second. Okay, you can open it. Later we must find it or the rest of the service cannot be finished. Then we ask, why in this night do we eat bitter herbs? And our attention focuses to these items on the table, but they wouldn't really be in cups. They would actually be in this plate. This is called a Seder plate. And you notice that there's a spot for each item because the rabbis tell us that redemption is perfect when it's done through God's means. And we don't only eat just the bitter herbs, but the rabbis have enhanced the story to tell it much more visually through food. So the first thing that we look at is called kapis. Can you say kapis? Very good, and you have a nice Boston accent. That's nice. <laughs> when I go down south and I say kapis, they, I say ka. They have no idea what I'm talking about. I went out to California once, and I said, can I have a glass of water? And they went, what? I said, water, you know, the thing you get out of the bubbler. <laughs> <laughs> and they looked at me as like I was from Mars, you know? <laughs> but this is called coppice, and it's green because Passover happens in the springtime. And the seasons keep coming all the time, and it's a season of life. Right? Your lawn dies in the winter, and then it comes back to life. So green represents life, but it also represents life for the Jewish people. Why? Because it was the hyssop represented in the coppice that the Jewish people would put the blood on the doorpost of the Jewish homes. And when God saw that blood, what did he do? He passed over, and that's where we get the name of Passover or in Hebrew, Pesach. And I won't have you say it. I usually do have you say Pesach, but because you have to kind of spit that ha sound, I don't want you to spit on anybody in front of you, okay? But Pesach, the time where the Lord came and passed over the houses of my people. Why? Because they were Jewish? Nope. Because they put their faith in the blood of the Lamb. And that's the whole point here. Faith in the blood of a lamb before you're redeemed. And this is representative of, of how that was applied. And before we eat it, we dip it in salt water. 
Anybody know why we would use salt water at Passover? Tea is very good. And the reason why is the rabbis tell us that even though you have life, life will be had sometimes and it will be immersed in tears. And then we say a prayer and then we, we eat it. Those of you who have come to faith in Yeshua, did all your problems go away? No, your biggest problem went away. Where will you go when you die? Isn't that amazing? We still have to live life. So we'll have ups and downs. So the dipping the parsley in the salt water reminds us that we still have ups and downs, but we don't do it alone. Amen? Amen. The next item <coughs> is called charoset, and it's an apple mixture, and it turns brown. It's sweet, but it turns brown to represent the mortar that my ancestors used to build the brick for Pharaoh. And you might be wondering, why a sweet mixture to represent slavery? Well, because the rabbis say that even life as a slave is always sweetened with the promise of redemption. And I like that too. Why? Think about your own life. We were born as slaves to sin. I don't care what you say or what you do. We are born with a sinful nature, and we will sin. So the question is, can you save yourself from your own sin? That's always been the biggest question. In the Jewish world, I was raised that God has a skill, and you try to do more good than, than bad to, to let God know that you're trying. And the reality is, is that it's not just Jewish. The world thinks that way. What makes the gospel different is it says the gospel is sweet in the midst of you being a slave. And where did the disciples and apostles get that idea? From the Passover. So we eat this with the understanding that no matter what p position you're in, it's always sweetened with the promise of redemption. Amen? Amen. The next item is maror, the bitter root itself, and we're supposed to eat about a tablespoon full of horseradish. And this is usually the time I get the pastor's participation. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what happens if you eat this much horseradish? You die. <laughs> no, you cry. <laughs> Jamie, I'll leave it up here, and you can eat it right before you serve communion, okay? Hmm. But no, the idea of being bitter, the Scripture says, when my people cried out to God, he heard them. And that's what I love about this. And you, actually, when I come to this part of the presentation, I usually eat a little bit of horseradish for two reasons. One, it's pretty cool to eat and preach at the same time. But I'm reminded of my own coming to know my Messiah moment, you know, because when I eat this and I cry, it was 32 years ago that I sat and I had been shared the gospel at 28 years old, first time that anybody ever shared it with me. Um, and I didn't know if it was true or not because I had to process stuff from a Jewish perspective. If I do this, am I still Jewish? What happens if I'm wrong and Jesus isn't the promised Messiah? 
What's the consequence of being Jewish and putting your faith in the wrong Messiah? Jewish people have to filter all those things in. But I was convinced that it was true. And I sat at a church when they did communion. And I like to tell people I'm the first person that I led to the Lord. Because I said a prayer for my repentance of my sins. Asked that God would hear them. And then I said that I believe that Yeshua came to die for my sins. And that's when I became a person who is now redeemed in the blood of Messiah. Amen? So as you're sitting here this morning, I'd ask that maybe you go back in time and remember when you did the same. And if you're listening this morning or here this morning and you've never made that decision, maybe you've heard it, maybe you've come with your wife or maybe you're a young person and you're, yeah, young people like my family, you have to go to church. Now, can you be forced to believe? No, that's the beauty of the gospel message. Nobody can force you. But if you're young here today and you've never made that, that decision, today might be that day. And if you're thinking about it, I would say go ask your parents. Go ask one of the pastors here, and I'm sure that they would be very happy to talk to you. Because don't wait till you're 28 or 29 like me. And you want to do it at a time when you really know that it's important in your life. And then the last two items on the plate are very interesting. This is called a hagiga. And we actually roast it. Okay? And then we crack it open with Kathy. This is hard-boiled, right? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and we crack open the egg. And we take a piece, and now for the second time, we dip in salt water, and we mourn and grieve over the destruction of the temple. The reason why the egg is brown is it represents the lambs that were roasted. And we ate those. Well, we don't eat lamb at Passover anymore. Anybody know why? Now, that might be a shock to most of you. As Jews, we eat no lamb at Passover, and there's a reason. Anybody know why? Because the lambs were slaughtered in the temple. And in 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed. So from 70 A.D. till today, no lamb is served at the Passover table, and we eat this as we mourn and grieve over the destruction of the temple. And then we also have this. This is the shank bone of the lamb called the Zoroah, as a reminder that not only do, don't we make any sacrifices, but we don't eat the lamb. And that raises a very interesting question. Without a temple and without sacrifices, how are Jewish people redeemed? I told you, growing up, we're told that God has a scale and you can kind of tip the scale in your favor by doing good deeds. And that sounds good, but here's the problem with that system. How many good deeds do you have to do to tip the scale in your favor? You never know. You know when you find out? When it's too late. Because imagine getting up to God and said, God, you know, I did all this stuff. And he says, oh, Mitch, you were this close. <laughs> right? You should have called your dad this morning, and that would have tipped. And we laugh about it, but here's the funny thing. There will be people who will probably justify their good deeds when they get to that point. And God will say, why didn't you listen to me? I did it for you. 
you didn't have to do it yourself, and at that point, it's too late. So before it's too late, God gave us a perfect system. If you ask me today, if I die, would I go to heaven, you know what I would tell you? I'm 100% sure that I will. And only the gospel message can give you that. That's what makes it the most exciting message in the world. Amen? Amen. So now that we've gone through that area and understood how Jesus died as the Passover lamb, we now come back to the next cup of wine. In reality, I didn't want to spill it all over the table, we only have one cup in front of us, and we keep refilling it, and we always refill the cup right to the top. Anybody know why we fill it to the top? <laughs> no, because in Judaism, a full cup represents complete joy. And we're looking at redemption. But with this cup, the rabbis tell us, a joy not so complete with this cup. Because as we were redeemed, we're going to mourn and grieve over the destruction of the Egyptians through the plagues. So what we do is we take the cup and we put the cup in front of us. And I'll put it on the piece of my tongue. And what we do is we go through the plagues and we put our finger and we dip some of the wine out to remember the plagues that God bestowed upon the Egyptians. Now, the plagues weren't arbitrary. God says that they were done as judgments against the gods of Egypt. So we remember this, and you're going to help participate in this. So I want you to take your, your wine cup in your left hand, and you're going to dip in, and we're going to take out as we go through the ten plagues. You ready? And you repeat after me. Blood, frogs, vermin, flies, pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, swaying of the firstborn. Now we... And then lift your cup and recite after me, Baruch Adonai. Eloheinu melakalom, berei pri agasen. And we drink. And there's an important lesson in this cup. And that has to deal with what God was telling Pharaoh. Don't harden your heart. Every time God said, let my people go, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And this cup is a reminder to all of us. If you've heard the gospel message and accepted Jesus as your Messiah, then you had to be humble enough to realize, let him do it instead of you. If you've never accepted Yeshua as your Messiah, your heart is still hardened. You're trying to do it yourself. And don't be like Pharaoh, okay? Don't be like Pharaoh, but open up your heart so that God can come in. Now, I, I told you that we look at redemption from different perspectives. With this cup... It's interesting because ultimately, you know what God had to do to really get Pharaoh's attention? He had to slay the firstborn. I've watched documentaries on TV all about how you can kind of take all the plagues and figure them out just normally and naturally how they would all take. But it, the last one is a big problem. 
God knew the firstborn of men and animals. It is selective. Okay? Now, that was against Pharaoh. Why? Because Pharaoh actually considered himself to be a living God. And when he would die, guess who becomes the next Pharaoh? His son. And the test was against Pharaoh. Pharaoh, if you're God, you should be able to stop the God of the Israelites from coming in and sacrificing your son. If you can't do that, if you're God, you should at least be able to raise somebody from the dead. And we know that Pharaoh couldn't do either. Why? Because he was just a man. So do you think it's a coincidence that Jesus died as the Lamb of God on Passover? No. You think it's a coincidence that God's son died as a reminder that the firstborn died. And the reason why is God wanted you to understand something. What nobody could do back then, God could do with Yeshua. Because here's the beauty of the gospel message. It's not that Jesus just died at Passover. He died and was buried and resurrected all on Jewish holidays. And when he was resurrected, God showed the world that you can come to believe in me because I could raise my son from the dead. Amen? Amen? So if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as the son of God and your Passover lamb, don't harden your heart. Now, we've drunk two cups of wine in the Jewish world, and then it's a good idea to eat. So we remove everything, and we actually have a meal right in the middle of the Passover Seder. Obviously, I'm not going to cook a meal for you this morning, but I just wanted to take a minute, relax, because there's a lot of information here, and I just wanted to point your attention that I have a book table in the hallway that actually documents everything that I'm doing here today. So if you like that, I have a book called The Gospel and the Messiah. I did have it here somewhere. Ah, it's called The Gospel and the Passover. And you could do this on your, at your house. You can learn more about what I'm talking about today. You could actually cook some of the foods. What I didn't tell you is uh, right before I came to faith, I was a professional chef. And I worked in some of the best hotels and restaurants in the world until God humbled my, myself. So all the recipes are my recipes and my, and my family's recipes for the Passover. So that's a little promotion for me. I think I have the best chapter in the book, but I'm a little biased. <laughs> so come to the book table afterwards, and there's other books about the holidays on my table, there's a book on how to share your faith, and there's a book that if you have somebody Jewish and you don't know how to talk to them about Jesus, I have a book called Isaiah 53. And that's a very important book in Jewish ministry. Why? It's the most vivid picture of a dying Messiah as the Lamb of God in the Old Testament. Isaiah wrote his book in the 700 B.C., well before Jesus came. And you can see that the gospel was being preached well before Jesus came. Amen? So after we get done eating, <clears throat> my grandfather calls us back to the table because we have two more cups of wine to drink. And now the, the Passover focuses on, on the third cup, the cup of redemption. And before we drink the cup, we have to find something. Remember I hid something? Anybody remember the Greek word? 
Oh, who said Afikoman? Very good. Give you an A for listening. And all the kids hunt and search for the Afikoman. And one will find it. Okay, normally I would have somebody come up and find it, but because of COVID, but one person will find it. I found it. And then there's a little tradition because before I give it back to my grandfather, he would give me 10 bucks. He had to purchase the re or redeem this piece of matzah to remind us that redemption costs. It's so he would redeem the piece of matzah. He would take it out. He would say a blessing. Okay, why? Because in Jewish tradition, Jewish people pray for food after we eat instead of before. And then what he would do is he would break a small piece off and he offers it to every person at the table and together we drink, uh, we drink the cup of redemption with a little piece of matzah. And does this remind you of something? It should because it's the origin of the communion. And I want you to understand it a little bit better before we take it. So what happens is, is the matzah is a very interesting. The matzah is unleavened because it represents also the lambs. They were unleavened. Matzah is roasted. Those lambs were roasted and matzah has holes in it because those lambs were sacrificed. And Jesus, after dinner, picked up the bread and he said, this which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. See, before Jesus came, Jewish people always remembered redemption from lambs. And now Jesus say it's going to be redemption from the lamb. And he's just like the matzah. Jesus is unleavened. He's the only one that could come and take away our sins. He wasn't roasted, but he, Isaiah 53 says he was striped for our well-being. And he was pierced through for our redemption, just like this piece of matzah. And not only do I see Jesus in the matzah, but where we got the matzah from. Remember this bag? How many layers of unleavened bread did I say was in here? Three. But we only took out the middle piece. We broke it. We wrapped it up. We buried it. And then we brought it back. Does that remind you of somebody you know? So how does Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection come in the middle of the Passover Seder? All Jewish homes do this ritual, but we don't know why. The tradition has been lost. Why? We just do it. And the only thing we know about the tradition is that the name Afikomen is Greek, and the only time Jews spoke Greek was at the time of Jesus. So they think that's where it originated. And there's different reasons for the three layers, but most believe Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But why is the middle piece broken, buried, and then brought back? My belief is that it was introduced by the disciples as something to understand Jesus better. The two main reasons why Jewish people didn't believe Jesus back then and don't believe today, the two main reasons. One, Jesus claims to be God. 
and Jewish people aren't looking for a Messiah that will die. So the disciples had to go through those back then, and even 2,000 years later, we still, those are the two main stumbling blocks, theologically, for Jewish people to accept Jesus. They're not looking for a Messiah to be God, and they're not looking for a Messiah to die for our sins. But this is a wonderful way of explaining the gospel message to somebody Jewish. Why? Because you know, oh, you know why I believe there's three layers of unleavened bread? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we don't see the Father and the Holy Spirit, but the Word became flesh. And He was broken for our transgression. He was buried with sinners, and He came back to life. Okay? The Trinity is actually a very Jewish concept. Did you know that? There is no Trinity concept in paganism. It doesn't exist. It's very unique. Thank you. You can just put that on the tape. Great. So the idea of his death, burial, and resurrection is found right there in this whole scenario. So how wonderful it's right there. Then Jesus picked up the cup and he said something very interesting. He said, this cup which is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Now what does he mean by a covenant? Okay. We have anybody who's a theologian here who might know the Hebrew word for covenant? It's called Brit, okay, where we get the word circumcision from. Okay, means to cut, but to cut with blood. Because when God makes a covenant with the Jewish people, what do you need? Blood. Blood shed. So when Jesus picked up the cup, he said, not only are you going to remember that I was the Passover lamb, not only will you remember that I'm the son of God, you're going to remember that in my death, I've brought a whole new group of people into the story. You know why the new covenant is so important for you guys? It's how God said the Jewish people were chosen to bring the gospel to the, Jewish, uh, to, the, to, the, to the nations. The new covenant allows you to come to the Passover table and understand redemption from the same way I do. And Jesus did that on that night. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant so that both Jew and Gentile can come to know God in the same way. Amen? Amen. So when you take communion, I want you to understand that the tradition was the blood and the body of those lambs saved the Jewish people out of Egypt. This morning, you're going to remember the blood and the body of Yeshua who saved you from sin. Amen? And then when we're saved, what's the fourth cup called again? Praise. Hallelujah. But Jesus said, I will not drink of this cup again until you say, Baruch Hashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Paul said that at the end times, all Jewish people will be saved. Okay? Right now there's a remnant. I'm part of that remnant. At the end time, all Jewish people. But right now, we have a tremendous understanding of how to communicate the gospel. We live in maybe the best time to share the gospel in the world. Did you know that? Because we can do it without any retribution in our country. Jewish people, a third of all Jewish people live in this country. So I really want you to be praying and supporting our ministry. Why? I think I have one of the most exciting ministries in the world. Imagine that. Jewish people are coming to faith. And not only are Jewish people coming to faith, but we're seeing something 
that we've never saw before. My kids and other Messianic Jewish kids who are being raised as Messianic Jews, first time we've seen a second-generation Jewish-believing remnant. We don't see it in the New Testament, do we? What happened to Peter's kids and Paul's kids? Not sure, because it doesn't really talk much about them. But today, you know, my kids are Jewish, being raised, believing in Jesus, and they're now going out, spreading the gospel, and it's very important. So I want you to be praying for our ministry. If you don't pray for a Jewish ministry or have somebody that you support in Jewish ministry, I would love to talk to you afterwards. I have a sign-up sheet that you could just sign up for my free newsletter and my prayer letter. I also, if you want to give a gift, you can go online and look Mitch Foreman at Chosen People, and you can become a monthly supporter of our ministry. Why? Because I need your help. Not only do I need your help financially, and not do I only need your help from a, from a spiritual, I need your help physically. Who's going to reach the Jewish community down here? You know, New Bedford had a very strong Jewish community for a long time. And um, I was, as I was coming here and I came off uh, 190, there was a sign in New Bedford that said that this was uh, in remembrance of Captain Joseph Slocum. And I don't know who Joseph Slocum is, but he, he sounds like he's Jewish. <laughs> so New Bedford area has had a real strong history of a Jewish community, and I need your help because if somebody is Jewish down here, most likely they're going to hear the gospel from you. So please, if you're not sure how to share the gospel with the Jewish person, I'm around. I have a lot of resources at Chosen People as well. And just pray to God to say, Lord, teach me how to do this because God wants all people to come to faith. It was supposed to be the Jewish people to go to the Gentiles. You know what the amazing thing is? Right now it's the Gentiles coming back to bring the gospel to Jewish people. So we do this together. Amen? And then we're finished with one last thing. Every home in the Jewish Passover table has a special cup. Anybody know what we call this cup? It's called the cup of Elijah. And we leave it there, and a lot of homes have a special place setting. Why? Because the last prophecy in the Old Testament in Malachi, it says, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I will send Elijah. Why? Because Elijah is going to come to announce the coming of the Messiah. So that's what Jewish people are waiting for. Okay? As a Jewish believer, I'm waiting for Elijah to come to announce the second coming of Yeshua. So this cup should remind you that there's two ideas of the coming of the Messiah. The Jewish people are waiting for him to come the first time, and we as believers in Yeshua are waiting for him to come back. So may that remind you that Elijah is coming back. Why? Because if Malachi says it, and he's a prophet, how and when, not sure. All I know is that God will do what he says he's going to do, and we'll just have to wait. But the cup of Elijah hopefully will have you praying for the Jewish people. So let me just pray to end our time together. Uh, Jonathan, Jane, I'll have you come up, and you can do the communion service, but let me just pray as he comes up. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father and King, I thank you for this table, Lord.
This table is remarkable. Everything is here. It's the Passover story. It's the judgment against the gods of Egypt. It's the beginning of a new covenant, and it looks forward to the second coming of the Messiah. Lord, you, you gave us the perfect table to understand not only what did happen and not will happen, but today, as we take communion, it's a good time for us just to look inside. Are we in the right place with you, Lord? Do we even know you? There might be somebody here like me 32 years ago that sat there with the elements right in front of them and prayed to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior right as communion was being taken. So, Lord, the table is open to everybody who comes and believes. The table is open for anybody to step forward right now. And, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that the new covenant allows both Jew and Gentile to come and see redemption in the same way. Jews aren't saved any different than Gentiles and vice versa. We thank you for one plan that happened all the way down in the garden and doesn't stop being preached until you come back. And it's his, his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So that was great, right? Uh, who learned something? Well done. Well done, Mitch. So we do thank him, obviously, uh, what we learn here today and all the symbols uh, and how the Messiah is uh, at the center of the Passover table and all the intentionality of the Last Supper uh, that we practice communion. And, you know, we get together and we do this once a month, and so it's going to look a little different today. Usually we pass the microphone around, right? We, we uh, ask for praise and, and prayer requests and, and things like that. But today, obviously, we took a different route. We wanted to make sure that uh, for us that, you know, we all got educated on this and understood why and how God is so intentional about everything. You know, he wastes nothing, and, and so it's great. It, it kind of, you know, as I say on Wednesday nights, the, the deeper we understand the Word of God and the person of God, then the deeper our worship is going to be. Amen? So we know who we're worshiping. We know the person of Jesus through that. Uh, real quickly, um, Pastor Brian actually forgot to announce this, so he can come and eat the horseradish. Um, <laughs> Uh, we have the angel tree uh, that many of you are familiar with uh, set up here. At the end of service, Laura will be here with a clipboard. Um, and if you would like, these are the children of our Teen Challenge men. Uh, the men, correct? We're doing the men this Yep. So the Teen Challenge men, their children, while they're in the program, obviously it's very difficult for them to provide anything for Christmas for them. So what we do and what many other churches and ministries do is, is we offer to care for one of those children. So if you'd like to come up at the end of service, Laura will be here. She'll give you a description, the age, the gender, as well as what their likes are. And uh, you can buy them a Christmas gift and be a big part of that. Pastor Brian? Nineteen in this one.
Sure. Before he starts crying, I'll jump in. Um, we, uh, yeah, it is a be- <laughs> it's the horseradish he hasn't eaten yet. Um, it is, it's a beautiful thing. And, uh, and for us who were in the program, it was a huge blessing because our hands were tied. You know, and you already feel kind of low. You already feel like you're separated. And, and so to be able to do something through the body of Christ is just a beautiful thing. And so uh, this morning, um, a- as we wrap up here, uh, you know, I, there's so much that you said, Mitch, that I, I, I was like, oh, I could come up here and preach a sermon. <laughs> and we have, what, 15 minutes? Well, we can stay late, right? No, I'm just kidding. The point was is that, you know, I, I thought about through all of this, is, 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 and we talk about this often, is, is the community that is supposed to happen, this communion that we talk about, it's about participation and partnership. It's about doing this together, right? You know, at the Passover table or, or you know, if you're doing it in a home, you know, there's a participation of the family, right? But when we come to the communion table, we're doing it as the body and we're doing it in community. And this koinonia, uh, which is a Greek word that we derive the word communion from, you know, is exactly that. It's about this partnership with us, the body of Christ, together partaking and remembering you know, the Passover, this last meal that Jesus had with his disciples, and, his, and being obedient and remembering what he said to do this in remembrance of him often, whenever we come together or as often as we can. You know, we don't believe in transubstantiation here, which means we don't believe that the elements take on the actual blood and body of Christ, right? What we believe is that this is a spiritual act of obedience, of worship, and so that's what we're called to do together. So I want to talk a little bit, very briefly, about the power of community and the importance of it here. You know, we talk about Teen Challenge often because it's a big part of Pastor Brian and my story. There are a lot of folks in this church who have been in the ministry and have, uh, their lives have been radically changed by it. And there's also folks in this room who are sort of... Um, have been impacted and impacted by it on different levels as well. Whether it was a family loved one or they just witnessed the power of that ministry. And, and, and I would go as far as to say that all of you have been impacted on some level because your pastors were, were really radically changed and transformed and brought to Christ through that ministry. Praise God is right. So I thought what better way to sort of explain this then usually instead of passing the microphone around, I was going to ask Brian Foley, could you, could you come here? I'm just going to give you the microphone for a second. I asked Brian to share a little bit about the power of community in his life. And I don't mean just the community that he lives in, the community of the body of believers that have been, uh, he's been subjected to <laughs> in his journey. Yeah, so, um, you know, the theme of redemption came up today and, um, I definitely see that uh, in my life. You know, Jamie talked about Teen Challenge. I'm a graduate of Teen Challenge. Uh, Brian and Jamie are very close to my heart for that reason. This church as well. Um, I know I've had my my struggles in the past couple of years, and I know there's a, a lot of you that were probably praying for me and, and praying for my family. And um, I just see how God has, has brought me through um, all that mess, you know. And um, I really appreciate, like you said, the importance I have in a community like this. Uh, to lean on, and um, I just want to praise God today, too, because, you know, his faithfulness in my life and in my family's life. Uh, my parents were divorced uh, 13 years ago, um, 
and today uh, they're coming back together to be remarried. And uh, I get the privilege of, uh, I'm getting the privilege of performing that ceremony uh, myself. I'm going to be marrying her, uh, which is, is pretty cool. And, um, you know, I, can, I see um, that this is all about God's ability. It's never been about my ability uh, to, to tip those scales or to, um, to, to make things happen, to do the right thing. It's not about me. It's not about anybody else. Uh, it's about God and his ability, and I have complete faith and trust in that. very powerful, right? The testimony itself, and if you know Brian's story, or have been around, um, you know, to see him where he's at with his wife Giselle and his little boy Ezra back there, and they're a miracle, and then to see him, you know, as he shared, to, to remarry his parents uh, this afternoon, actually, right? So we're holding them up, um, <laughs> is a beautiful thing, and, uh, you know, I just thought what a better way to talk about community and the power of that and how families are brought back together and people are brought back to the fold and we, we hold each other accountable as well. It's inconvenient at times. Uh, there's a, uh, a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer and if you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard his name mentioned quite a bit. Uh, he was, um, you know, a theologian and a, a pastor, but he, he wrote some pretty amazing books. But one of the, the best part of his story was that he, you know, he lived through the concentration camps um, in the 30s and 40s in Germany, and he actually um, was a prisoner there and then died. Uh, it was killed uh, at the end of his ministry there and ministered to the Jewish community quite a bit. And uh, he, one of the quotes he, may, he, he, he said or he, he wrote was, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. And I think a lot of the times what we believe is, is that this is about doing our own thing, our own way, you know, and, 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 you know, Paul says we have the right to do everything, but not everything is right. You know, what we need to understand is, is that through community and the word of God, we have examples and demonstrations of how God has called us to live and to worship and to serve. And so we become stronger, not by trying to create community, but by loving each other, and then community is created. And I think we need to remember that. We need to stop, stop forcing community with gimmicks and, and, and lures, but by just loving God and loving each other, I think what happens naturally is we build a very strong Christ-centered community. Amen? So let's remember that today, and, and let's remember we're called, as Paul says in Philippians, to be partners, partakers in the gospel. And, and that means together, together with, with Christ, together with Mitch, together with each other. We're called to be partners in the gospel, partners in all that we do. None of this, there's no such thing as a lone Christian, we say all the time, right? Togetherness is where our power is as the body. It's not because of one person other than Christ, obviously. One person here. It's because of all of us collectively, okay? So as I said, communion is a spiritual act of worship. And it's a, it's a time where our sin must be confronted. It's a time where, where we need to take this, this moment. It's a sacred seriousness 
uh, I've read, a sacred seriousness when we remember this last meal. And, uh, and I'm going to read to you what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. He says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And he says, But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So I'm going to ask you at this time, and I'm going to ask Ruth and, and the worship team to come on up. But I'm going to... I'm going to ask you to just take a moment here. I'm going to ask, uh, um, I think, Brian or whoever is going to pass out the elements to everybody, if we could do that now. Um, Darren, it's in the kitchen right there on the outside. And if somebody could just pass to Brian, if you could hand out the elements with, with him now. I'm going to ask you, as they're handing this out, and as we take this moment, as Paul says, to examine ourselves. You know, let, let's just bow our heads, let's close our eyes, and, and just think with me, if you will. Some of us have had a really challenging week, and Ruth mentioned that earlier. Some of us have made some mistakes or bad decisions. Some of us maybe haven't lived in a way that glorifies God or, or acted in a way that glorifies God. And it may not be just this past week. It could be just this past year. Or up until this point in your faith, there's this one thing or these few things that you're really just holding on to that you're not willing or haven't been willing to let go of or to leave at the foot of the cross. You know, there's one thing that Jesus says, one thing that the Word says that I used to hold on to even when I was not living right. And it says if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us. And so as you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to think about these things this morning. I want you to think about the, the message that Mitch shared. I want you to think about what we heard of the gospel, what we know of the gospel, that if we do cry out in this moment, we can leave these things here, these confessed sins here at the foot of the cross before Christ, and we can leave here today Walking in repentance and a righteousness that glorifies God. Father, we come before you this morning together in community, in partnership, this koinonia that your word talks about, Lord. Lord, knowing that we're not perfect, that, that the flesh is never converted, but Lord, you are sanctifying us and transforming us making us more like Jesus. As your word says, he who began this work, good work is faithful to continue until this day of Christ Jesus. 
So, Father, I pray that we would be more willing in that process, that as we, we confront our sin this morning, we confront those things, God, that we have struggled with, Lord, the things that we haven't been willing to give up on, give up on. Father, the things that we hold on to when we know we shouldn't, change us, God. I pray for freedom this morning, that somebody would be set free and delivered from these things, God, that they just can't let go of. These things that keep hindering them and hurting them and causing them pain. Father, convict them. Lord, help us to, as a community to love them back to life, as we often say. To be there, as, as Brian shared in his, in his short testimony, that it's the community around him and the people around him who helped him in his darkest times. Let us love each other with truth. Not cosign or enable, Lord, but remind that you've called us all to a life of righteousness and holiness to be set apart from the world. To not join in in the antics and the nonsense, Lord, but, Father, to be a light, to be salt. And, Father, help us to do this with humbleness, kindness, gentleness, patience, self-control, and faith. Paul says in that same chapter, he says, For I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake in the bread now. As remember, as in remembrance of what Jesus did for us in his body. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the bit, brit, I'm learning, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So please, as you partake, remember the blood that was poured out for each of us and all of us, that covers us, and so that death may pass us over and eternal life has been given to us. I'm going to ask you all now to stand as we sing one last song in community together, remembering the scandalous grace that covers all of us and that none of us deserves. Amen.
Father God, we just lift you up in this place. Jesus, God, we just want to thank you, Lord, for the love you had for us. You did not despise the cross. God, that when you came down to earth, you could have come down as a king. You could have come down as a tyrant. God, and it would have been within your holy rights, God, but you came down as a suffering servant. 
God. Lord, that you uh, credited us your righteousness and took our debt upon yourself and you brought it to the cross. Not had you made a way when we're not worthy. So we just want to thank you for your love today, God. We want to thank you for your servant that came today to teach us, Lord, exactly what you meant when you broke that bread. God, exactly how you received it, Lord, and just what your culture that you brought yourself into, God, meant for us today. God, we thank you for making a way. Lord, for your people and for the whole world. God, we thank you that we can be counted among those that when God the Father looks at us, he sees your face. He sees your purity, your righteousness, God. And there is nothing we'll ever do to thank you enough. God, we ask that as we go out today that we shine your light, God, that we remember your people who are still lost in darkness, God, and you love them so much and we love them too. And God, so open our open our our means, God, open our hands, open our eyes to the things you see, to the things you want done, God, and just give us a spirit of obedience, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.